Hey, look at that. Folks, this is a monumental occasion for, for many reasons. Let me give you a few of them. The first reason is because we did, in fact, manage to begin the stream without Eric. I didn't even know that was possible until a few seconds ago. Um, secondly, we have the ineffable Will Musso here with us today. Don't look up that word because I didn't use it correctly, but I just really like the way it sounds. Uh, and Will, gosh, I've known Will for over 10 years. And I'm going to say something right now that is going to immediately go to Will's head. Uh, but I think I think I can't help it that something today will. Will, you are the only person that I attended college or high school with that I still call. So <laughs> I don't I don't know if that says something about you or me. I'm going to try not to think about it too much. Um, but all uh, all jokes aside, a longtime friend and a good friend. And here today to discuss something that I think is actually quite important uh, and relevant to what the show is about. But first, we got to tell you people who this guy even is. I mean, why is he wearing a cartoon character on his head? Uh, I, I guess there is one thing about you that, that makes sense. You do have facial hair, so you do belong on the show. But maybe you should tell the people a little bit about who you are, maybe how you know me, and uh, why you're here with us. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Will Musto, I'm from I'm from Chattanooga, Tennessee. This is actually a Chattanooga Lookouts hat. Uh, it's their alt hat. Their their primary logo has the C surrounding the eyeballs, but uh, I like this hat a little better. And uh, I was I was telling Luke before the show I was at a I was at a small gathering the other the other day with some children below the age of two, and I thought that they were really into me. And then, and then my girlfriend made the comment that they must really be interested in the eyeballs on my hat. And I was like, it's quite the disappointment. Because <laughs> uh, these kids were enthralled with, they just kept staring at me. And I was like, man, I'm, yeah, babies think I'm a good looking guy. This is, a good, this is good stuff. And, and it, was, it, was after, it was after hearing that story that I felt like you needed your ego to be stroked a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Luke and I, uh, as, as he alluded, went to, went to college together for a year and a half at Montreat College, a year and a half, right? At Montreat College in, outside of Asheville, North Carolina, we were, uh, we were teammates on the cross country and track teams. Um, and uh, probably the two guys who liked to have the more uh, ideological or intellectual conversations on the, on the team. For sure. so, so definitely more often than not, it seemed like on, on runs, he and I would end up towards the back or the front of the group either way to, to kind of get out of the riffraff, so to speak, of the conversation and, <laughs> and uh, have our own little, it wasn't every run, but certainly. No, I mean, know. look, for, for the record, there was plenty of riffraff between us too, but for, <laughs> for, for sure, long before there was Bible and banter, you were one of my banter friends. Uh, That's right. Both in regards to incessant ball busting, but also about a whole slew of political and theological issues. Uh, you're a great conversation partner. You were 10 years ago and you still are today, which is probably part of why I still call you. Yeah. Yeah, I would yeah, definitely. And and we yeah, we still have similar similar conversations, albeit not on a daily basis, unfortunately. Yeah. And I'd like to think that you and I have both uh learned a bit more maturity and uh <laughs> you know, like level-headedness. We we could we we can still be passionate, but we're definitely not 19 years old anymore. 
uh, or, or even 18, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> Un unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, I don't know about you, but for me, I consider it an improvement. You know, 118. <laughs> Uh, in a minute, I'm actually going to let Will tell of just a few embarrassing stories. He has many uh, about me, but uh, I'm going to I'm going to limit his time on that. But before I do that, I wanted to put him in the hot seat a little bit. And um, our, our purpose today is not to discuss politics. But if I have Will on, I got to do a little bit. So here's what we're going to do, Will. I am going to throw at you some uh, recently coined political terms. And if you know what it is, you have to give me a one-word summary or response. If you don't know what it is, you ask me, what is that? I'll give a short description, and then you have to give a one-word response oh, yeah. or summary. Okay. You know, you know I've been very intentional the last five-plus <clears throat> years about not, not being outspoken about politics. So this is... Oh well, you're not. You can't be you, okay. me. <laughs> you only you only get one word per. Okay. All right. Here we go. ACB. Uh, Supreme Court Justice. I know that's three words, but one phrase. No, no, no. You got you got to stick to the rules. One word. I I don't know one word. To, I I don't know how to limit I mean, one word. I, I've got one dime piece. I <laughs> That's two words with a hyphen. No, 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 no. That's, that's one word. Uh, all right. Well, so far you're not doing well, but I, I've got I've got hope for you. CRT. I don't. I actually don't know what that reference is. Critical race theory. Oh, uh, yikes. Okay. QAnon. Hysterical. <laughs> I mean, also highly problematic. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone is posting as Advent Christian Voices. First of all, it's one word, dime piece. Secondly, for the sake of any children who might be listening, I'm just going to leave that one hanging in the air. Uh, if you don't know what a dime piece is, then don't worry about it. But it's two words with a hyphen. I, I don't believe you. I think it's one word. <laughs> <laughs> you've, just, you, you've, uh, you've distracted me now from what, what was I doing? You said QAnon oh, was the last one. Okay. Um, yes, the fly. I don't know what that is. Uh, the namely the fly that landed on my head. Uh, who cares? I'm going to go ahead and say that that is not two words with a hyphen. That's just two words. So so far you're you're two out of four here on the one word responses. Um, okay, la last one. <clears throat> Are you ready? Irrelevant. Is that a better the fly? Irrelevant. There you go. There you go. Mail-in voting. Also, yikes. <laughs> well, uh, well, so so it, I mean, not yikes under certain circumstances. Also important under certain circumstances. <laughs> this is uh, this is what I hoped would happen: is that you would be unable to follow the rule because <laughs> I know you. <laughs> How could you? <laughs> Uh, please, no one, no one judge Will for his for his answers. The whole point of the game was to make it impossible to win. <laughs> uh, female, oh boy! So Eric is in the chat, um, which means we are going to get a a, a little taste of the usual uh, shenanigans. And um, I'm guessing he's also the one who asked what a dime piece is. Eric, thanks for joining us. Will, 
you have, I'm going to give you three minutes to tell as many embarrassing stories as you can manage to tell in three minutes. Ooh. All right. So my favorite Luke Copeland story, bar none. I think this was sophomore year cross country season. Uh, we had our, our team, just so everybody knows, we, we had morning practice three or four days a week. Um, if we met in the pool, some days, twice a week, it was in the pool. And those were, we met at six o'clock at the pool. And the other days we met at six 30 at wherever we were practicing. And, uh, so it was a, it was a lot like, and we're college students. We had, we had a college course load and also we practiced every afternoon at four o'clock too. So there, there was a lot on our plate from in terms of energy expenditure and schedule and making sure we got sleep. And we, all of our practices were off campus from where our dorms were. <laughs> You'll have to go back and, and watch the, uh, well, yeah, the we, gave, was, we gave a whole bio. You go back and rewatch. <laughs> uh, so all of our practices were away from the campus where our dorm was. So we, we drove as a team in two or three vehicles every day to practice to both practices. And one morning Luke no showed and the whole team was late to practice because we were waiting on Luke and we got to practice and we're like, Hey, sorry, coach. We were waiting on Luke and, uh, it, <laughs> and, and he did, he, he didn't come, so that's why we're three minutes late. Coach was not okay with being three minutes late to practice. And the, the day went on. We had practice. We went back home. And this was before group texting existed. So all mass communication on the team was via email. So sometime at like 8.45 in the morning, Luke sent an email to the whole team and coach. And it, it was like two sentences long or three sentences long. And I believe... I, I actually didn't know that Luke was valedictorian. That's very impressive. Uh, I, Eric, Eric discovered this about me and has figured out how much it embarrasses me for him to bring <laughs> it up. So now he always brings it up. Now, so the funny thing, Eric, is we had several homeschoolers on the roster at Montreal College. So we had like seven, we had seven valedictorians on the roster and their bio on the website said it, every one of them, <laughs> valedictorian of their high school class. And it was like high school class of one. It drove me crazy. See, anyway, this is, this is why I never, I never brought it up though that I was valedictorian because I was just one of a dozen. Luke was bona fide valedictorian, <laughs> and I didn't do homework in high school or college, and so I was. See, not you and Eric, you and Eric have so much in common. Uh, carry on. You have more than three so, minutes because you keep getting interrupted. <laughs> so Luke sends this email to the roster and coach, and it said something to the effect of, "And I actually, I pulled it. I had it. I have it in my inbox. I pulled it up." like a year ago. And it said, I was like, man, that's exact. I can't believe I remember that so clearly. Something to the effect of good morning, guys. Sorry, I missed practice. I was doing laundry late into the end of the night, fell asleep in the laundry room, woke up, saw that it was 530 and said, screw it and went to bed and turned my alarm off. And that was the whole email. <laughs> and uh, co coach, we we did not run well. That's a, that's a, that comment is truer than that's like a knife in my heart. Uh, <laughs> that's what Eric, that's what Eric does. Eric is like <laughs> an eighth grade girl who makes fun of you for the thing that you feel unhappy about about yourself. <laughs> it does sound like a fake excuse. So coach's response, nobody responded to it, and coach just hits reply all within minutes and was just like, 
I'm wondering if everybody else is as disgusted by this email as I am or something like something. It was, it was something like that, right? That was the premise of the email. And then nobody ever responded. That was the whole email. And then like with, within, within two weeks, Luke had quit the team and had announced he was transferring. And it was just, uh, it, it was, it was, it, it was just a, a whole unraveling. And then, and then uh, what I didn't realize, I guess, or it, it wasn't as conscious as I, as it was in actuality, but Luke claims to this day that there were several months that I just didn't communicate with him, which I guess I believe because he says that there were a couple times he came back to Montreat in the spring semester, and I have no recollection of that. So I must have, I must have completely avoided him uh, because he was he was transferring schools to chase a girl who is now his wife. So I approve of it now, but at the time I thought. I told him outright, you're an idiot. You're 19 years old. You're not going to marry this girl. There's no reason to change your whole life for her. And I was but wrong. If, if a 19-year-old kid were to tell me he was doing what I did, I would say the exact same thing. Uh, for me, it worked out really well. <laughs> that doesn't always happen that way. True enough. Uh, before we uh, uh, get into the meat of today, I'm going to tell a quick story, and it's not to um, Will's detriment, but I think it does establish a bit more of the rapport that we have. It is my favorite story from our time together at Montre, and I have many favorite stories, but this is the all-time favorite. And Will, as soon as I start it, it was going to know exactly what I'm talking about. One time, we took about a two-hour road trip to a meet, and... Um, I knew we were going to be on the road, and so I brought my favorite CD because, uh, uh, we, you know, these it was a van, like an old-timey van, but new enough that it had a CD player. And uh, I, I enjoy the Newsboys, the old Newsboys, not the new Newsboys with all the confusing new members, uh, the ones with, uh, you know, when they still had Peter Furler. And, uh, the Newsboys, not the second coming of DC Talk is what you meant to say. Exactly, yes. For the record, for record, I also like old DC talk, um, but that's neither here nor there. They could have just stayed together and not wrecked the rest of Christian music. Though. It's amazing that when you put together two great things, sometimes they're not so great. It's yeah. just the same. Yeah. So uh, I, I had my newsboys shine the hits. It was like their top 30 hits from their first four or five albums. And uh, I said, hey, coach, uh, this is Coach Larios. Uh, can we... Uh, what's what's a newsboy? It's uh, if you go watch the musical with um, who's the guy from American Psycho? Which the main character? Oh, uh, Christian Bale. There yeah, we go. Bale. Uh, yeah, go watch the musical with Christian Bale. You know the newsies. Boy. Yeah, yeah, that's the joke. Uh, so I'm I'm gonna attempt to finish the story now. Uh, I I didn't know Eric not being here would make it impossible to continue. Thank you, uh, Meredith. Yes. The first track on this CD was Shine, which is a great song. So um, Coach says, yeah, we can, we can listen to your music. And he put in the CD, and Shine played. He, he went, man, I really liked that song. As an insertion, Co Coach Larios was – like, it was, it was his M.O. to listen to the same music. Like, he had, a, he had a CD that we listened to on every road trip that was, like, nine songs long – that were his his favorite songs. And they were all great songs, but that's all we listened to. So with that context, 
he said, hey, I liked that song. And he played it again. And the song ended. And he played it again. And uh, this ensued for the next two hours. So for two hours, we listened to the song Shine, which, as it turns out, is not that long a song because we listened to it many, many times. And uh, that was interesting. So we got to the the meet and um, we, you know, we do the thing. And eventually we get back in the van and uh, I said, hey, coach, can I have my CD back? Thinking, you know, he'd give me my CD back. That is not what happened. We listened to Shine over and over and over again for another two hours on the way home. And I never offered coach another CD on a road trip again. <laughs> now, what, what makes this story really great is I was talking to Will about this story just a couple months ago. And uh, we were we were talking to each other going like, why did that happen? And I finally went, I feel like I should just ask coach. And I hadn't talked to coach in years. But I called him and he answered the phone and he answered my question. So, you know, all's well that ends well. Uh, you guys clearly had a better team culture than our cross country team. Ours was like, here's everyone who couldn't do a sport, go run. Um, act actually, that is not entirely inaccurate regarding the, um, uh, how, what would you call it? The athletic uh, level of our team. But oh, Will disagrees. I mean, you know, we had a skateboarder who was very athletic. We had Ben Hall, who was whatever he oh, was. Yeah, he could have done anything. I felt like, I mean, we did have some other individuals. We had a couple of homeschool valedictorians who were very unathletic. I just, I just think about the guys who were running, you know, on the the backup squad. I don't know that any of them could have been basketball or baseball players. That's oh right. But I think the roster who was, and just for Luke and I, our freshman year was the first recruited class for the program. Uh, prior to that, coach Larios had been there for a year prior to be able to do recruiting full-time. And then he had also like scrounged up, like rustled up some runners to compete at the conference meet that way because Montreat had committed to having this the sport that year and it was a conference policy if you commit to have a sport you have to compete a full roster at the conference championship so there were there were holdovers from that team who were like yeah i still want to run and and they ran, they ran. Yeah. yeah uh lucas recruited yes i was i was recruited by multiple schools now, now none of them were competitive but i was actually recruited it's true uh that was a different different time of my life That's luke, not was, luke was a better runner than than he showed himself to be for sure yeah. i i he, was i i mean like my my freshman year of high school my running credentials were quite impressive uh it kind of went downhill after that <laughs> But if you had looked at me freshman year of high school and looked at the times I was running, you'd be like, man, that guy's going to be a really competitive college runner. Didn't work out that way. But um, so I could do this all day with you, Will, but we, uh, for the sake of our audience, probably best that we move on. Although there is a, um, there is a nice little segue here, which is I, I mentioned having that conversation with you a couple months ago about the, uh, you know, the infamous shine the hits story. Um, 
also, either in that conversation or in another conversation we had around that time, I called and asked you a question about something in your spiritual upbringing. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, you asked about discipleship and and if I had ever been. I think the question was, have you ever been in a church that prioritized mm -hmm. discipleship? Yep. Uh, and why don't you go ahead and give me some rough estimation of the answer that you gave? I said... Yes, in fact, my family changed churches uh, when I was in sixth grade to move to a church that more uh, put more of an emphasis on discipleship and on on you know basically youth, I guess youth development for lack mm -hmm. of a better uh, word. So yeah, that was, I think that was my answer. Is that right? I don't. Yeah, yeah. I'll pause okay. for a minute because I, I got to answer Meredith's question. Um, Meredith, no, not necessarily because you might have a twin. <laughs> but incidentally, none of the valedictorians in our on our team had twins. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I called Will and I asked him this question. Now, Will, I'm not sure if you remember this. Um, do you remember why I called and asked you this question? That's that, that's okay. I, I don't know if I even mentioned it. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so I called and asked you this question because this is something that I have been wrestling with a lot in my own job as a pastor. Um, and uh, all sort of teasing aside, Eric has actually been hugely influential in driving me into asking these questions, um, namely questions about whether or not we are doing discipleship in the way that is actually modeled by Christ and uh, the apostles. And um, look, obviously... I'm, I, because I, I've chosen the career that I have, I believe in the importance of preaching, uh, large group Bible study, the worship service, all those things serve to edify the body of Christ and glorify God. Um, but as Eric uh, expressed in one of his uh, recent books that he wrote on this exact subject, discipleship is uh, more than just being part of a church or leading a church, it's actually developing people to then go and develop other believing people to then get right. That like, that's, that's sort of the chain that's intended by the great commission and um, looking at my own ministry model, which of course is I I'm, I'm standing on the shoulders of those who came before me. So it's not like I invented it, uh, but there's so little of that. Or at, least, or at least there was. And in recent months, that slowly started to change. But the only reason it started to change was because I had people like Eric who were sort of asking me questions. And then I then in turn called and asked you and a, a few other young men that I knew questions and was just uh, stunned by you. You will by far gave the the um, most positive answer of anyone that I talked to. And I probably asked at least half a dozen guys around our age. Most of them, in fact, I think all of them except you, basically just said like, no, they didn't, our church didn't do that. Does that surprise you at all? Or would you have guessed that that was the case given the, the way that you grew up and what you saw around you? I think when we were back in Montreat having these conversations in the calf or in the dorm room, I would have been flabbergasted by that. Yeah. Uh, but pr probably starting with those conversations, 
uh, it's become obvious to me in, in the last 10 or 12 years that the church that I grew up in is not like a, like a typical, like standard, oh, mm-hmm. there it is, <laughs> had to get it on screen, standard uh, American Christian church mm. from, in terms of like, what I experienced was a church that very strongly um, practiced and demonstrated basically what, what Jesus taught and then what in turn, what the disciples taught in acts mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in terms of how to, how to care for the flock basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so certainly, yeah, when I was a freshman and sophomore in college and, and you and I were having our banters, mm-hmm. um, my, my life experience was that. Right, right. Well, of course, of course. Why, why would you know anything other than what you grew up in? Right. Yeah. And so at that point, I thought that that was, I thought that that was normal. I thought that that was standard. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think, I think as of, you know, as a 30 year old now who, you know, has even, you know, since, since that done his own church hopping and, 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 and so also even, even in college, um, like I had, and I grew up in a, in a church that's, that is part, it was a, it was part of a denomination. And so, uh, the, I was, I went to my pastor and I was like, Hey, do you know any, you know, when I went to college, I was like, Hey, you know, do you know any good churches in the Asheville area? And he, you know, he, because of the organization that the church was a part of, he knew very specifically of a church. Uh, and so he was like, Oh, go to this one. And, and I experienced very similar, you know, things at that church where, you know, even though I was just a college student who really only went on Sunday mornings and, and didn't just frankly didn't have time in it to, to be involved greater than that. Uh, but I still experienced, you know, people going out of their way to invest in me in, in particular ways. And so even that like kind of, uh, fed my bias, right. That, that, oh yeah, this is normal. This is what, this is what the American Christian church does. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, since then, uh, you know, I've church shopped or hopped or whatever word you want to use on my, on my own and, and mm-hmm. ex- seen a better, uh, maybe representation of, of yeah, what's out there. Section. Yeah, cross section. There you go. Of what's out there, both from a, even, even just, you know, Sunday morning caliber of preaching to, uh, cal- you know, cal- effort put into even just Sunday school stuff and, and, and beyond. Right. And so, yeah, I think, I think because I'm older now, yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised by that answer, but I, yeah, 10 or 12 years ago, I would have been like, yeah. Did those people grow up in church? Are you sure? Right. Right. <laughs> so I, I was actually really surprised by the answer because like you, I feel like I was very privileged to grow up um, and not even just when I was a kid or in college, but even on into my career in ministry. Um, I've always had older mentors who were disciple, excuse me, discipling me. When I started to really realize the, um, what what would the term be? When I started to realize that that wasn't happening in most cases was actually after I became a pastor and I started um, making the effort to disciple young men. Was I found that um, several of them, uh, you know, I, I I I got them to agree to come, you know, agree to a time every week we were going to meet and what we were going to be doing and all that. 
And um, after a couple of weeks, as I was just sort of really getting to know them, I, I finally, I hadn't even thought to ask this before. I just asked the question like, hey, has anyone ever done this with you before? And they all said no. And I went, I mean, that I, I don't have the words that um, it stunned me. And I want to make one thing clear as, as we continue this conversation. We're not talking about this just so that we can, you know, just like throw dirt on the previous generation of um, church leaders. Uh, because obviously we're here because of, of those leaders. I, I don't like this sort of modern view of history, which is basically just to spit on anyone who came before you, um, not realizing that you're standing on their accomplishments. And so uh, I don't say this just to just to like say nasty things about the people who came before us. Obviously, like us, they were operating sort of within the structure that they were given. And they had training and they had um, cultural expectations that were different than ours. I think, though, while we don't want to get into that business, I, I do think we need to be willing to submit sort of our ideas of church life and ministry to the word of God in all things. And so if we find that something that we're doing isn't lining up with what we read in the Bible, then we should be willing to subject those patterns and traditions to what God has commanded in his own word. So I guess the, the next direction that it would be good to go would be to ask you, Will, uh, we, we've sort of mentioned there are a lot of people for whom this didn't happen, and you gave sort of a, a short summary, but can you get into a little more specifically some of the, the, the benefits of having those mentors? What was it that they actually did for you or to you um, that you think is so important in the life of the church and the young Christian? So there are a couple of different um, situations growing up. There, there's the more like formalized structural like group of you know four to six uh first middle school and then high school boys that you know we met on a regular basis uh actually it was the same two adult men who kind of rotated over the years back and forth um and we you know we would have either a book study or or whatever and and there was a lot of um just like expressing life to each other on a, on a regular basis, whether it was weekly or twice a week or, or whatever, um, through, you know, again, we, there was a, a, it was a structured, it was a guided, uh, you know, we, we were going through a book and, and talking about our thoughts or, or, or what we learned or what takeaways, you know, what have you. And, and in, in some ways, like at the time, it just felt like another thing, right? Like it was just another assignment every week, like, I got to read this book for school and this book for, for, you know, Wednesday night and this book for Sunday night. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, oh, you know, and, but in, in other ways, like looking back, like there, I, I didn't see it as like a, a, an, a, you know, it wasn't like an in your face discipleship, but there's certainly like something to be said about several years of like rubbing against the same, even, even like, cause we weren't all necessarily friends even, um, we just were the same age mm -hmm. at church, right? And we didn't necessarily, even though like several of us went to school together and church together, like we didn't necessarily hang out outside of this, you know, hour or two hours, whatever, a couple times a week. 
and and so there's something to be said about that like rubbing together and like like hearing hearing you know what what different people are taking away from and then and then still you know like i said being guided by uh by an adult and and having having that um so so that was a, a an experience that i had and then simultaneously um there were there were some relatively like catastrophic family events uh in in my family in in late late middle school that kind of extended through high school and there was several but one man in particular in our church actually in the church that we had left Mm -hmm. uh who very much went out of he went out of his way and it kind of started the same way like uh hey will like me and this other guy are gonna do this book study and uh, do you want to be a part of that? And my mom was like, yes, he wants to be a part of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, another book study, you know, goodness gracious. And we, we did the book study. And then the, the third guy kind of like, he, he was maybe like five or six years older than me. Uh, so like freshman, sophomore in college. And mm-hmm. I think that when we were doing that book study, maybe he was like taking a semester off of school and then w- went back to school. And so he was out of town again. And so it just became... David Cancellari and myself uh just he he was like well we're, you know we don't need to go through a book necessarily but like do you want to just keep hanging out and and mm-hmm. was was again not like there there wasn't always like a structured um here's what we're talking about but he certainly was like a he became an authority figure in my life and a, and someone who I respected continue to respect uh but somebody who I respected who who modeled you know, uh, the, the, the Christian walk, the, the, the Christian faith for me in a way that was just not, not because like I watched him do it on Sundays or Wednesdays or, or whatever, but because we just lived. Right. Mm-hmm. And we were just, yeah. and, and not, not every day, like pause, we weren't, pause. we weren't next door neighbors. Right. Yeah, but like, Pause for a minute there. Cause I want to make a remark here. What you just said is so important. Um, and I'm not in any way denigrating regular patterns of meeting. This is something the book of Hebrews actually commands us is don't give up the habit of meeting together. But your point, I think, is so um, poignant in the light of the model that Christ gave for discipleship, where they weren't meeting once a week, you know, on Sabbath for an hour. They followed him everywhere, right? And so he, he was discipling them not just through a formal worship service or Bible study, but through the the living of his life day to day i just wanted to really point that out carry on yeah and and so that's that was uh that was a cer- certainly like an impactful and influential um thing and for me and and i was in a situation where i definitely needed the uh influence or or impact of really just a like mild mannered male in my life frankly mm-hmm. like bottom line like i was very angry about things and um my i'm a very as you know luke i'm a very like passionate individual and i i come by that honestly right like my father yeah. is also very passionate and there's great positives to that yeah uh, but, but well, I, real, I was real quick real quick let me just point out one of those positives i don't know if you've ever done a podcast before but you're great you, every, <laughs> you're, you're made for this stuff go on thank you i appreciate that uh i actually yeah i i did a mets podcast back in like 2003 so i 
and not I, that's not a misspeak. Seventeen years ago, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I I have I have done this before, but not this type of topic, not this personal of, of mm-hmm. stuff. So it's it's uh, it's a little different for sure. But yeah, he you know I I I definitely needed some of that, um, like I said, mild mannered influence in my life, and and not somebody to just say like. Well, this is how you should behave, right? Mm-hmm. But just somebody who just behaved that way, mm-hmm. and and somebody to, all right. Well, that's yeah, maybe it's a good thing he wasn't here today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what so, it comes to, blo- I don't know how it comes to blows virtually, but it would have somehow. <laughs> that's right. Um, so yeah, I just I I I was able to have that influence, and and he and I. Uh, you know, we, we don't see each other. He actually, he lives in Arizona now, so we don't see each other regularly anymore. Um, and we don't even talk on that regular of a basis, but we stay in touch. And he's still, you know, he's still a person who I definitely like look up to and have reached out to in the last mm-hmm. couple of years to be like, hey, like I'm I'm looking for some guidance or advice on, on this area. Like, yeah, we jump on a phone call and, yeah. and you know, he's done that. So... Yeah. yeah, I think I think that that was a incredible. Like I, I don't know how to measure, you know, the impact that that had on my life. Um, not a hockey fan. It, it'd be too hard to be a hockey fan. My <laughs> my dad's family's from Long Island, so it's just all Mets, Jets, Islanders, Knicks. It's it's like it's not that fun. It's too hard to be a hockey fan because it's, it's just it's an impossible sport to watch. I've been to a, I, I've been to a live hockey game and I didn't know what was going on. Well, like, that might say more about you. But <laughs> <laughs> let me go to um uh, Pama's comment. Pama, I always appreciate your insight when we talk about this kind of stuff. Uh, Pama says we are too young to remember that over the last fifty years, discipleship became a buzzword that was used by many people in the church, but it died away and another took its place. Many books, studies, plans have been written on how to do discipleship uh, most times in the past in our experience. And Will, Palma's experience is quite relevant. Ed was actually my predecessor here. So he was in ministry for, you know, 50 years. Sure. Discipleship was done one-on-one where the people were in whatever situation and circumstances they were in. And this last phrase is really important, depending on how receptive that person would be. So um, obviously discipleship is something that all people in the church need. Where I have seen the biggest gap is with young men, but I made the remark earlier that we're not talking about this just to, you know, try to accuse the previous generations of um, uh, of missing the mark. I actually think a huge part of why that gap is present in the church right now is because young men are pre- are not present in the church. I don't know about you, Will, but I actually, during the time that we were at Montreat, sort of had my period of exodus from the church. Um, I probably could count on two hands the number of times I attended a church service when, in those years. And I know for a lot of uh, younger people who grew up in the church, there is a gap, whether it's from 18 to 25 or 18 to 30, where um, for one reason or another, they sort of disappear from church life, and then they start to get married and have kids and they reappear. And so... Um, I think one of the reasons this gap is there is it's not because of a lack of interest or care from the church. It's because they're not there. And so I I guess there's two questions. Maybe the first one to ask is why is it that you think this happens? Is it just a normal part of um, 
you know, people being that age? Is it something the church is failing to do? Is it a cultural phenomenon? So let's start with that. Why do we think this gap, before we even talk about the gap of discipleship, let's just talk about the gap of young people. Yeah, um, you know, it's like, what comes first in the situation, right? Because right. It, I think it builds. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly, and you know, I had a I had a period of time like that as well. It was later, um, and maybe even longer than than your period of time of your period of Exodus, as you said. Um, for me, it was where I was living. There weren't <clears throat> phenomenal churches within an easy easy being frankly less than half hour which mm-hmm. is which is a pretty like that's a wide range of driving on a sunday morning i feel like there there weren't any phenomenal churches within easy access that i could find mm-hmm. and so i was like well what's the point mm-hmm. and i think it's worth you know re-highlighting my my standards are like up here Mm-hmm. because of my experience in life and and so and maybe my standards are way too high i mean it, it's certainly <laughs> i think it's certainly better to be in a bad church or a, a, an a, an okay church than probably not a bad church but an okay church than mm-hmm. to not be in a church is is, is a you know that's something that i probably should have worked out in my in my heart and head mm-hmm. but um i certain so that was the trigger for me was like I'm going to, uh, there was, there were a couple churches that I was checking out and I was going to them and it was like, I just, I, I, there was no point that I felt personal and personal growth. Like I didn't feel challenged. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel uh, like there was an opportunity to be challenged. Mm-hmm. It just kind of felt, here we are, like went to church this morning and, and that was kind of. And, and like for me, that isn't how I want to be challenged by a, a, right. a church community. Uh, you know, I, I I I want, and I'm not going to see growth in that manner mm-hmm. of, of of structure. And so, uh, that was my reasoning. Was like, I just didn't see. They're just like I couldn't see the 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 point. Mm-hmm. frankly mm-hmm. and it was going to take a lot of effort to get to and by effort again i mean time mm-hmm. uh, you know 45 60 minutes of driving each way to yep. get to a church that was going to be worth it mm-hmm. and i was like well i don't know if i have that kind of time to be to be candid yeah. which yeah no look you don't you don't have to you don't have to try to defend 19 year old will we just want to understand it well, probably like 24 <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, yeah so i want to get to glenn's comment i think it's very relevant and it helps it gives me a chance to clarify one of the things i said earlier because i don't again i don't i don't want to misspeak uh anytime we're talking anytime we're speaking critically about the church um glenn says i'm going to defend that gener- uh, generation of leaders for a minute which makes sense as his father was uh, so pama is the husband, or sorry, is the wife of my predecessor. Glenn is his son. Um, I don't disagree with what you're saying, that discipleship is important, but because of the limited number of men in many churches, my dad was pastor. Uh, His responsibilities were to lead multiple aspects of the church that did not lend itself to much individual discipleship opportunity. And I want to say something here. 
this critique of the church is not limited to the pastor because in many ways the pastor, and I know this from experience, is subject to the expectations of the congregation. This is actually, um, a, I think in many cases, a congregational failure because they do two things. Number one, they expect the pastor to basically run the whole church. And number two, they oftentimes, and I'm not saying this is the case here, thank God, but I've been in churches where they basically expect the pastor to be responsible for discipleship, period, uh, which is an absurd task when you begin to understand what discipleship actually is. Like it, it requires a lot of time and effort on, the, on part of the people doing it. And if you think that your pastor is going to be able to disciple your church, uh, you are going to be really disappointed because that, that, that is a task that, first of all, all Christians are called to it. Secondly, the only way that you're going to successfully accomplish it is if all people are participating. There's someone incessantly ringing the doorbell, so I'm going to go answer that. But go ahead, Will. The, the second question I wanted to ask was, um, so we, we've, we've addressed why they're not there. What do we do about it? Sure. Um, the... The thing, wow, talking to an empty screen is going to be interesting. The thing that I experienced uh, and and that I, I think is most replicable and was kind of touched on both by the comments and what Luke just said is certainly um, the, the, the congregation needs to be willing to full step, step up and fulfill that role. The, the church that I am a part of right now um, there's a, an older gentleman and his wife, uh, they're both retired and they have taken it upon themselves. They, they moved to Chattanooga from Los Angeles, maybe like six or seven years ago to be closer to family and to retire. And when they moved here, they took it upon themselves to head up the discipleship ministry, basically. And, and both of them uh, have taken groups, small groups themselves, and, and literally discipleship groups is what they're called uh, by, the, by the church, by the organization of, of people. Um, they've led them, and then as those have gone on for a period of time, kind of the, the goal is for them to be spun off into the self-sufficient, either self-sufficient or, okay, these, you know, there are four, four men in this group and these two men have, did you find what you need to find? Yeah. So if someone rings the doorbell once, I ignore it. When they ring the doorbell 12 times, I feel like I need to answer it. Yeah, absolutely. I was talking about the uh, discipleship group structure at the church that I'm a part of now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so these groups are, I don't know how much you want me to repeat for you. No, own. no, no. You don't okay. need to repeat anything to me. Okay. So these, these groups, the goal of them is basically to say, okay, maybe there's four men in this discipleship group and two of them have very much shown interest in leading their own. And so then those two individuals go start their own discipleship group and it, and it goes from there. So yep. I'm, I'm in a discipleship group now with the, uh, there's three of us and we meet weekly and um, we, we try to keep structure. Like we try to have something that we're 
like a, a source material that we're working through, but also like we, some, some weeks we don't necessarily get to it because yeah. we're, you know, living, living life together basically and sharing, yeah. sharing our lives with each other. Um, yeah, let me, let me, let me tell a quick story real quick on this subject. So, um, there is a group that meets on Saturday mornings at our church uh, that sort of follows this model that you're talking about. And I remember one Saturday morning, only one guy showed up and I was sort of bummed. Like we usually have five or six. And so um, I just, I, I, I was actually just kind of being lazy and disappointed. I was like, you know, instead of doing a thing, let's just hang out and talk. And it turned out there was something that had happened in his life that week that he needed um some real counseling for and we talked for it the bible studies you know like an hour we talked for an hour and a half just about so i so that that sort of structure of we're here for a particular purpose but that purpose is subject to the needs of the group i think is phenomenal go on yeah yeah well and so that's that's the group and you know it's it's been a little different uh we used to meet for breakfast what what one of the guys in the group his wife has cystic fibrosis so now we meet on video because she's high risk and uh they are trying to limit their exposure to other humans at this time mm -hmm. uh so we've been meeting on video for several months but it's still a situation where uh you know once a week most weeks uh we normally do it on tuesdays we didn't we didn't meet this morning because one of the three of us is is traveling with his family and and you know hey let's just take the week off um but yeah, we, we get together. We, like I said, there's, there's some structure, um, but there's also a, a lot, there, there's no pressure on, you know, the, the, the standard for us is like, if it's a chapter book, we do a chapter a week, but like mm -hmm. sometimes it takes three weeks because mm -hmm. uh, the first week we actually didn't get to the chapter. And then the second week we had a lot of discussion on the chapter. And then mm -hmm. the third week, let's finish up the discussion on the chapter. And then, and then sometimes, you know, we'll get, six weeks will go by and we'll get six chapters completed. It just kind of, we, we, we don't like hold uh, some sort of draconian policy over, mm -hmm. over what we're doing. We just have the, you know, the, the discussion as it, as it happens and, and the conversation amongst each other. And, and there have been times when it's like, Hey, you know, one of us has this, this thing in life uh, that they want to talk about. And that's what we talk about for the whole morning. Mm -hmm. And, and then we pray and, and, you know, go on our day and, and, uh, you know, the, we've got a group text. And so we, we interact throughout the week as well. Um, the three of us, two of the, the two of them are both married and one has a couple of three children now. So, um, there, it's not like super regular, you know, anybody with, with children is probably less willing or able to hang out and, and do stuff on a regular basis than like a totally, single mm -hmm. unattached individual like myself but there's still like ongoing social interaction and and then also like i said that that regular meeting and just just living life together sharing life hmm. yeah pama saying our sunday school class has always had that type of camaraderie and this is where i think we need to commend the church that this is not a you know a universal or widespread failure i think there are many ways in which the church is already doing this a great example is, you know, that kind of a Sunday school class that's been meeting for years and years and has the same kind of care for one another. I mean, that's that they're doing discipleship in that case. Um, I want to address some of the challenges that that Meredith brings up, because I think she is saying what a lot of people might already be thinking. So here's some of the challenges to, to what we're talking about here. 
beginning the relationship. Um, and I will tell you, Meredith, the only reason I started doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship was because someone, specifically Eric Reynolds, like put a bug in my ear about it. Because you're absolutely right. It's a weird conversation to bring up. Um, and one thing that I continued to struggle with, even after I started doing this about six months ago, was the first half a dozen people I asked were all young men, because I didn't feel comfortable asking an older man if I could, uh, if I could disciple him. Like that just felt weird, and that that was wrong. Um, I I need to take to heart the admonition of Paul to Timothy: Don't let people look down on you because you're young, but set an example in all these things. But you're right. Like starting that conversation is hard. I think it's one of those things you just have to like bite down on your mouthpiece and do it. Uh, number two, do you assign people to discipleship groups and what if it's a bad fit personality wise? Yeah, this is, this is something to which I don't have a great solution yet. Cause so far, you know, I made the critical remark earlier of, oh, the church is making the pastor do this alone. But right now I'm, I'm doing it alone because I'm, I've just started doing it. And at some point I'm, I'm going to have to start giving away that responsibility to other people or encouraging the men I'm discipling to go on and carry the torch and, I don't have a great great answers to that question. Number three. Oh, you want to pop in? Yeah, if you don't mind. Um, no. Certainly, like one thing that's that's difficult when we're talking about like starting a discipleship program or however you want to phrase it, right? Is like we we want to say like as goal oriented people, we want to be like, okay, in in X amount of months, three months, six months, we'll have this going. But mm -hmm. like we're we're talking about building relationships and people. Mm -hmm sharing their lives together and like that rubbing against each other right so like realistically it could be a five-year thing right and in, and in five years not to say like oh just wait five years you know mm -hmm. oh it'll happen but like in five years it may or may not even be where you would you know mm -hmm. you just you mm -hmm. just have to. so the, the again the church that i'm part of now and and luke what i had shared is there's a there's a older couple they're both retired they moved to chattanooga five to seven years ago um for retirement and they both took it upon themselves to basically do a discipleship program mm -hmm. um and and you know it start i think i'm pretty sure for both of them it started with like a group of two or three people uh meeting on a regular basis and then let's start another you know oh there's interest let's start another group and and then as as uh i know at least on the men's side as dave uh, gets to five a week, he, he, tr he makes an effort to roll one off to be self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. And and then that way he can add a, add a fifth one again. Cause mm -hmm. he always meets in the morning and he's like, I can't, <laughs> I can only, there's only so many six o'clocks in the morning in the week. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so it, it is, uh, you know, assign people to discipleship groups, like yeah, that's a, that's a tough thing because because personalities may or may not may or may not fit. Sometimes it's a, it's you don't necessarily need friends to be in the discipleship group. You 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 know, I I don't think I think it's a good thing to have people who you wouldn't otherwise, uh, you know, run yeah. against, rub against, and and yeah. and know. Um, but but absolutely absolutely yeah. This is this is something that is it's a, like, it's, it's not an overnight process. It's a, it's a relate, it's a relationship building. Like, yeah. Yeah. It takes time. No, look, this is something that one of my mentors right now has really impressed upon me because I'm, I'm the young and exuberant kind of pastor in the 
conference right now, and he's he's the old dog. And one of the things he said to me is, Luke, you got to play the long game. You know, this is this is a long game. Um, number three, I think, is um, especially relevant to your remark a moment ago, Will, about being goal or task oriented. So young people's lack of commitment. Um, I will tell you, I have started to do this with, I think, I've, I've attempted it with like five men in my church who, who, who at one point or another, it, actually one of them wasn't even in my church. There was just a connection through someone else. Two of them, and they just happened to be the youngest, within an, a couple months had completely fallen to the wayside. If you take a purely task or goal-oriented approach to the goal-oriented approach to this, then that program needs to be it's a failure. Right. Yeah. Right. And I don't think we can look at it this way. I think the reality is there are going to be uh, times and seasons when you have opportunity to disciple people. And when that season ends, that doesn't mean that it was a failure. Uh, number four, trouble finding source material. And this is where I'm going to be a little bit dogmatic. And I don't think there's anything wrong with extra biblical books that espouse biblical principles. They're great. I don't think anything quite measures up to the Bible itself. And I also don't think that um, going through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, while, while it takes effort, I don't think it's as unreachable as some people perceive it as being. That there are a few really basic principles that I think most decent teachers can learn and apply. And then five, people feeling ill-equipped to have the answers. I'll just say, this will be my last remark, and then I'll give you the last word, Will, because I want to get you out of here on time. Um, I don't think being a discipler requires you to have all the answers. Oftentimes, what people, especially I think young men really need, is just a place where it's safe to ask questions. Well, there's so much more we could say, but uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, and since you're the guest, I would love to give you the last word. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for, for asking me on here and having me on here. I, I certainly uh, don't know that I'm some sort of expert on this topic, but I have definitely experienced and, and maybe gone out of my way, uh, cer certainly in my like most recent church search, which was two and a half years ago, I guess, uh, went out of my way to find a, a community that, you know, did emphasize, uh, you know, dis a discipleship process. And it seemed like a good thing when it was, you know, uh, one of the tabs on the website was discipleship. I was like, ooh, <laughs> maybe this is a church I should visit. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I, thanks, thanks for having me. And, and, you know, if, if this is a conversation that you want to expand, then uh, yeah, yeah. come back we, and do it again. We definitely got to get you on the show again with Eric here, if for no other reason, so that the incessant ball busting can ensue. Because I just know that would be uh, a perfect storm of, of <laughs> testosterone and <laughs> uh, 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 quippiness. <laughs> that's because our interruptions were limited. That's, that's right, Bickford. Eric, this is how the show goes when we manage to stay on topic. This is um, well, Will. Thanks so much for coming on. It's always great talking to you. Um, for those who are still watching the stream, I'm probably going to stay on for another five or ten minutes just to sort of wrap up and answer any comments that we that we missed. Um, I know Will's got a real job that he has to get back to, <laughs> um, but we really appreciate your time and your perspective and your experience. And uh, God bless you. Likewise, thank you. Awesome.
All right, everybody. You got a little taste of college Luke today. I, I hope you enjoyed it. But it's not as fun. That's true. It, I mean, the interruptions are fun. Uh, I do miss Mike Alex today. We're, we're missing his, his quippiness. I just want to make sure we didn't miss any comments. Uh, sorry that I had to run out of the office for a second there. It's not often that I hear someone ringing the doorbell a dozen times, and uh, typically that would indicate some kind of emergency. It, it was not. It was just someone trying to deliver a package, but at least we got the package. Um, all right, I'm reading Gail's comment. I'm a co-leader in a ladies' Bible study group. Wonderful. Some people just don't know how to disciple or they don't have the time. They feel they can spend the yeah yeah. So as far as not knowing how to disciple, I think you're right, Gail. And this is one of the areas where oh we can be a lot better. I can be a lot better. Is it's not just a matter of making disciples, uh, as Eric says in his book, which I recommend. It's about making disciple makers. This is actually something that we need to be teaching people. As regarding they don't have time. I think life comes in seasons, and you're not always going to have time to have some sort of formal, you know, disciple-making program that you're a part of. I would say, though, that if you never have time, that actually says something about your priorities. And I'm not speaking to you, Gail. I'm speaking to the people who might feel the way that, that you're talking about. Um, we make time for the things that matter. And if this matters, then that's something that I think that we'll make time for. I'm glad you found us too, Gail. Thanks so much for joining in and, and listening to the show. I, uh, tell us, a, how did you find us? Where are you from? I mean, are you an Advent Christian or did you just stumble over the show while you were on Facebook? Give us a little bit of info. Uh, oh, Eric, you want to you wanna hop in? Yeah, you got it, man. Hop in and give some some closing thoughts. I'd love that. Let me go ahead and send you the email right now. Folks who are still listening, we appreciate your patience. I didn't know Eric was going to make a guest appearance, but I'm excited to have him on. Here we go. You want to send this to Eric. And sent. And momentarily, Eric will be on to join us. Send it via Facebook Messenger. Uh... I don't know if, hang on, hang on. Okay, I'm opening Facebook. Again, people who are listening, we appreciate your patience. All right, I'm opening Messenger. I'm composing a message to the incorrigible Eric Reynolds. I actually did use that word correctly for the record. I'm pasting the link. There we go. I'm sure Eric will be on momentarily. Uh, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. I'm a born-again Christian. I grew up in Somerville. That's cool. How did you find us, though? Oh, here comes Eric. Yo, what's up, man? <laughs> for for once, figure out how to do this. For once, I appreciate that you're the one who looks unprofessional. I like I like I'm the in, ghetto camera setup. I'm in my hotel room, man. <laughs> So I can't really see any of the comments. So I'm on my phone. <laughs> I apologize. That's, that's okay. If any, if any really good ones pop up, I'll I'll read them to you. Let me see if this works. 
So you couldn't stay away from the show. You were supposed to have the day off, and you just so, couldn't stay so away. So funny thing, man. So like I, we got to the hotel. So we went out yeah. to. We got here about like twelve thirty, and they couldn't like check us in yet. So, um, so we went to like uh, we're walking around. We're in we're in Charleston, downtown Charleston. So we're walking around. We get lunch, and then they finally call me and check in. And and so we check in. We have a um a what do you call it uh, a tour at four. So historic, historic downtown Charleston, and then uh, so we check in. And I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm feeling really full. Like I had a fried haddock and some clam chowder, and this is like the best seafood I've had since moving down to to the south. So, um, so I had that, and then I'm laying down, and I'm about to like open up Facebook, and all of a sudden you guys are on. I'm like, oh man, might as well listen. And um, so as we're waiting for our our thing, so yeah, 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 man. Good discussion. Well, any any thoughts on the discussion today or my buddy Will? I mean so, so you know him from college, is that what happened? Yeah, yeah. We were we were teammates in college for about a year and a half. We ran on the same team. And then you quit then you quit the team and you transferred schools? Yeah, so I um I transferred schools to follow a girl who is now my wife. That's a good that's a good story. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So so you, what division like school was it? Like division one, division two? It, it was NAIA. So it was, um, it was like the independent schools, not super competitive, which is why I was recruited by them. Okay. Um, I was never recruited by a D1, D2, or D3 school, but there were a couple NAIA schools that I caught. So did you get a scholarship or, or yeah. anything? Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got paid to run for those, that first year and a half. Hey man, I dude, you, you are a man of many talents. Well, I used to be. You, you wouldn't want to see me run now. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, I dude, I really appreciate the discussion. So, is he a pastor, or I I missed that part. Of no, the journey. no, not at not at all. Will's a businessman. Um, but he is he's one of those guys that the kinds of conversations that you and I have, mm -hmm. we would have, you know, running around on on long runs or sitting sitting in the calf or, uh you know, walking around the campus. So I just knew he would have um, some, some good things to say. The other reason I brought him on specifically is back, uh, you know, over the past year, as I've really been driven into this, this model of discipleship that you really challenged me on, mm -hmm. um, as I was coming to terms with some of these ideas and some of these gaps, I actually called several young men that I'd grown up with. Um, and he was one of them. And he, like I, I said on the show, he was one of the only ones, if not the only one, who had had a really positive experience when it comes to this and a really um, uh, active and, and helpful one. And so his experience really seemed to to be valuable in having this mm -hmm. discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. And discipleship is so key, man. And I think you're, like, I really appreciated some of the comments from Palma and Glenn. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, let's not trash the old ways so mm -hmm. much. And I don't think that's really the intent, right? It's just no, not at all. No. Let's build. And, and you pointed to this. Like, we're building off of the shoulders of the previous generation. But mm -hmm. it seems like the the previous approach was to miss the trees for the forest. Mm -hmm. And I think that what what we're trying to do, right, like the approach that you and I kind of advocate for is to spend more time appreciating each tree right and what making sure it's watered and it has the proper 
soil and fertilization and all that stuff. So yeah, um, and that's not to like I look at the <clears throat> the forest as like that's our Sunday morning, that's our Wednesday night Bible studies, and mm-hmm. and they are incredibly important. Sunday mm-hmm. is non negotiable, like that's yeah. central. But I think that one on one, one on few discipleship is um, just as central. I think that that mm-hmm. is that should be a key pillar of the church. Yeah, well, I, I would I would say that neither one of those is sufficient on its own, right? It, 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 the church can't stand on just one of those legs. You need the meeting, the assembly of the body for corporate worship, and you need uh, those one-on-one or one-on-a-few meetings for discipleship that's much more particular and um, much more open to the specific needs of the people or the person there. Yeah. Uh, they're both important. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think the I think our our community worship of Jesus is the most important like that there like you can't get away from that mm-hmm. um but I think like a, a close second is one-on-one or one-on-few discipleship that takes it really seriously and I think you know one of the challenges so I've had more success doing this w- with younger folks than I have with older folks and I mm-hmm. think because for many of the older folks they think well if I just come on Sunday and occasionally come on Wednesday or something like that then they're more comfortable with that you know yeah. that's that's what they grew up with but the it's almost like our generation and maybe a little bit older and then younger they are they are dying for um like mentorship mm-hmm. they want mentors so incredibly bad mm-hmm. and one of the things that i've learned through the military through um ministry even as I've studied like business, like CEOs and, and whatnot, and I've done a little bit of, you know, running my own business for a little bit. Um, those who thrive the best are those who have mentors. Mm-hmm. And if you, and that's really what discipleship is. It's mentorship within the body of Christ. And it's mentoring someone towards Christ likeness. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's good. Um, I, do you have any questions or comments about, uh, uh, college Luke. Will was actually very gracious. He could have told some significantly more embarrassing stories than he chose to. So maybe I shouldn't even give you the chance to pry. No, no. Well, listen, man. I mean, there are things that um, when we're all in high school and in college, we all do stupid things that we wish people would not um, bring back up. And for me, like my college years were the military, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there are things that I've probably said and done that God is gracious in forgiving me and not holding it against me. And I appreciate those uh, others who don't as well. Mm. Uh, Meredith, Meredith has had like absolutely bomb diggity questions today. She's just getting right to the heart of it. All these, all these uh, things we're discussing. Do you guys have difficulty with ongoing commitment? Um, Sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I mentioned in the earlier in the podcast is one of the things I've had to let go of is my um, sort of measuring s- stick for success in ministry because there have been efforts at discipleship that have continued for a long time. And by for me, a long time is really just like five or six months, but they've continued till today. And there have been some that I tried and we met for a little bit and then they just completely fell off the radar. Mm-hmm. And that was like discouraging and frustrating, but I've had, I've had to not let that be 
the standard by which I judge the quality or the value of what I'm doing. That I think we need to accept failure or, or at least, you know, the disintegration or the loss of some of these attempted relationships as coming with the territory. What's your experience been, Eric? Yeah, so I've had uh, success and I've had, uh, I've been successful and unsuccessful. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it depends. Um, there's a lot of factors that come into it. Some people are, are just going to be more um, committed than others. I think mm -hmm. some, and, and I think as pastors, we have one benefit in that there is some authority there that when someone is like, wait, the pastor asked, asked me to be discipled by him. Like he wants to mm -hmm. spend an hour or two a week together over coffee or, mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Um, I think for a lot of folks that carries a lot of weight with others, maybe it doesn't. And, and it can be fearful. Like, Oh, now the pastor is going to like, think I'm a terrible person. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, mean? I, think, <laughs> I, I think for some people, it feels like they're being called to the principal's office. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not asking you to do this so that I can, uh, flagellate you. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? I, and as you said that, you know what I thought of? I, th I think that instead of looking at pastors as being called to the principal's office, we should normalize looking at pastors as being called to the doctor's office. Hmm. Um, you know, we are the ones who God has called and appointed and prepared and equipped to apply as, as, oh my goodness, why can't I think of his name? The, if you're quoting uh, someone, Dr. Sibbs, uh, so Richard Sibbs, um, oh my goodness, read the bruised read each and every single one of you. If, um, if you're not a banter club member, you can get it for free on banter club by like the, on the lowest possible tier. Um, it, as a PDF, you can download it, do whatever, or, uh, you could order it on like Amazon or through Puritan paperbacks. Um, but that book is amazing. Because mm -hmm. Richard Sibbs is pastoring you from, you know, 300 years ago in applying, as, as Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, he's applying the balm of salvation to your soul. Mm -hmm. and, it, and that's what we should be, right? We should mm -hmm. be the ones who are helping apply the balm of salvation, the balm of grace and mercy um, to sinners and, and helping yeah. them see that they're saved by grace. Now, Palma makes an important point here. Usually relationships have to be developed first. That's one thing Will said that I really appreciated that is that this is a long game. And so it's not like you're going to walk out into your congregation one Sunday and find someone you've never spoken to and get them into your discipleship group. Though, though that, that could happen. I'm not saying that can't happen. But most of the time, it's, um, it's, it's a bit more of a wooing, a wooing process. Mm -hmm. Um. Now, Meredith wanted to narrow her question a little bit. She's talking specifically about people in their 20s. So I'm going to make a comment that some might find offensive, and then I'll let Eric cover for me. As <laughs> Wait, I thought said. I'm the offensive one. Uh, not today. Not today. Not at least not for the next five minutes you're not. Okay. Meredith, I say this at, from experience, and I don't just mean I've seen it. I mean I've lived it. I've been one of these young men. In my limited experience – young men and maybe just young people you know in particular people in their 20s are difficult to pin down i think what happens generally is they get older and they marry and they have children and that sort of uh 
civilizes them enough to to make them a bit more dependable and reliable. I think if someone had tried to do what I'm doing right now, um, for me, when I was 22 or 23, they would have experienced not success. Um, as I grew and matured, I, I became a bit more dependable and reliable, which isn't to say that there are no dependable or reliable young men. There certainly are. I, I know some of them, but many of them are not that way yet. And um, that doesn't necessarily indict us for any kind of failure. It just, I've had to learn to be okay with trying and failing when it comes to this and seeing the obedience as the success, not necessarily seeing the fruit right away. I, Luke is so wrong on so many levels. <laughs> so I, I can say this. I have had success mostly with the people that Luke is saying he's struggled with. And the reason is because um, I'll tell someone, like, listen, this is not going to be easy. Like, we're going to do things. I'm, if you know me, you know I'm not an easy person. Like, I, I'm not going to expect anything more out of you than I expect out of myself. <clears throat> and I expect a lot out of myself. So, um, and I'm going to hold people to that, to that standard. So if I say we're going to get together weekly, I mean it now things might come up and that's okay. Um, unexpected things, but don't tell me you had a doctor's appointment that you forgot about, like put this in your calendar. Don't forget. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me that all of a sudden your dog had a tummy ache, like tough Twinkies. We're getting together. Um, you know, but you know, you know what? That, that's a, that's a that's a fair point. That people tend to rise to the expectations you set before them, and you 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 might be onto something about um, maybe some maybe there is some failure on my part or on our part on the part of people in the church to expect enough for for people to rise to the level of our expectation. Well, I but I also say like, listen, if you can't make this commitment, that's okay. I'm not going to judge you. Right now might, might not be the right time. That happened yeah. with one guy at my last church. Um, I wanted to enter in that kind of relationship. And um, and he and I were like super cool, man. Like we'd go and get probably breakfast every couple of weeks, once a month or something like that. And um, and I asked him if he wanted to like, hey, let's do a study together or something like that. He's like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm just not in that place. But turns out like he had some ongoing struggles that were going on that he wasn't sharing with me. And maybe like six months, a year later, he joined my small group mm -hmm. um, and, and he grew incredibly. So it just, sometimes just the Lord just hasn't appointed the time yet. Um, people just aren't, aren't ready. And that was cool. Like me and him still grabbed lunch. We still did all that. Mm -hmm. um, it was just a little bit different. So you, you set out the expectations in the beginning and you say, this is what we're going to do. And when, when one party doesn't meet those expectations, then okay then you you talk about it you address it you don't just mm -hmm. you know, yeah you, yeah so uh, so i've i've found success and when hey if you can't live live up to it that's that's on you that's not on me um i think meredith was making a joke uh she she insinuated i was i was 25 uh, i'll have you know meredith i am 30 you're 30 so, you're years so old, old. Man. you're so old, so old. I mean, 
I, I, I can't even do math that high. I don't know what it means to be 30 years old. Dude, so Rob and I were talking on the way down here, right? So it's, we had about a three-and-a-half-hour drive, and, and she's 29, I'm 33, and our oldest is 10. So can, and our, our youngest is nine, and we're like, man, eight or nine years, the kids could seriously be out of the house. Like Jackson, my youngest at nine, wants to be wants to go into the army, right? And then, actually, I'm not quite sure what Adeline. What does Adeline want to do? Well, she hasn't figured it out yet. So, um, is is Robin in the room with you? She is. Does Does she approve of you doing this on vacation time? She doesn't care. She loves Bible and banter, man. Like she was disappointed that I was going to miss the show today. So. All right. Um, I was making sure because I don't, I don't want you to come back from this trip and be you know forbidden from the show because you dude so she could not watch the show live last week and I got home and I was just exhausted mm-hmm. and I forget what I was gonna do and she goes upstairs to fold laundry and I was like mm-hmm. oh you know I just wanted to talk to her or whatever and she goes do not talk to me I'm listening to the show <laughs> I, I said, <laughs> I'm half the show. I'm right here. And she said, no, shut up. I want to listen to the show. (laughs) So I legitimately think that Robin is our biggest fan. So. Wow. All right. Okay. So Robin, I'm just making sure. I was making sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we don't have to go anywhere for for like nine minutes. So. Well, we don't, we don't have to take up all those nine minutes, but we, we appreciate you jumping on and giving us your thoughts. Um, we'll have to ring back Will on sometime and uh, uh, have you there because I think the two he, – he truly embodies the banter elements of Bible and banter. I mean he's built for this kind of stuff, so I think he guy would – He had a podcast at one time, right? Yeah, well, when he, apparently when he was thirteen, he did a he, he did his own podcast and well, oh three. So Meredith's son's like I don't know twelve, thirteen. Meredith, you want to put a link to his to his podcast? It's called um oh what's it called? Tur tur no nerds talk the nerds talk. P&A, yeah, yeah, the nerd talk. Nerd and, and what he's and what he's doing is very impressive. However, Will did it in oh three. That was before there was like functioning internet. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. So Meredith, you see what Meredith said? <laughs> she said we should sell uh, t-shirts at Triennial. Oh, I'm down. We know <laughs> that. Well, we we need. We're gonna have to at Triennial. We're gonna have to have an episode where we're actually in the same room together, like for sure. Yeah. I, what What I'd really love to do, Eric. I I was gonna talk to you about this privately, but let's just throw it out there publicly. Let's just do oh, it. Let's man. just go for it. What I really want is for us to have a formal debate on either Trinitarianism or Creedalism at Triennial uh, panel style, like the way that James White and Michael Brown do it. Dude, dude. Okay, are you familiar with the Council of Nicaea? Yeah. Are you familiar with St. Nicholas? Yeah. Okay. What, you're saying <laughs> that if anyone disagreed with you publicly, you'd punch them? No, no. You, you know, it, it was funny, man. So I was listening to, like, yesterday I was watching uh, part of the, like, the introduction, introductory remarks for Judge Coney Barrett, you know, the, mm-hmm. the hearing and whatnot. Yeah. And they kept referencing what Diane Feinstein said about the dogma lives loudly in you. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, I'm pretty sure so many people have said that about me. <laughs> 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 so, um... But if you get to know me, like on a personal level, you realize I'm not as dog- nearly as dogmatic as, as folks think I am. 
I'm dogmatic towards myself and, and those in my surroundings. Well, you're, you're, you're dogmatic about truth. You're not dogmatic toward people. No, 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 no. I actually, I love people. Um, yeah, of course. People. If you if you Thank didn't, you, Gail, you for, for me to have a a good time in downtown. We are we're pretty stoked. We're excited, and and Meredith put the link down below. The nerd talk, and her son's fourteen. I'm sorry, I said ten or twelve. Still, still impressive. At fourteen, he's doing things that uh, not only I I hadn't done until twenty nine. I've actually never done them because Eric's the one who did it. So I just kind of got dragged along for the ride. Shout out, shout out to you, by the way, for making making the actual stream happen every week because I had to do that today, and uh, there I that took more effort and time than I thought it would. It's it's not too hard. No, it's not it's not complicated, but it wasn't as simple as just clicking a button, which is what I usually do. <laughs> well, I do think I'm tr I'm trying to talk with Tom to try and figure out how we can get wider distribution. So, mm -hmm. um, actually. Meredith's son, again, the nerd talk, right? Where um, where they talk about all kinds of cool nerdy stuff that you and I really enjoy. Um, and we've listened, I've listened to some of their podcasts. So, um, they put me on to Anchor.fm, and and I'm using that for our church podcast. You can actually look at that at Get in the Word. Uh, you can Google it on, or not Google it, but Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, all that stuff. So, um, and yeah, it's it distri it distributes everything like mm -hmm. really quick. Mm -hmm. So yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna let Eric go so that he can enjoy the downtown, uh, enjoy his vacation. But we appreciate him coming on, and uh, many more fun discussions to be had on Bible and Banter. I feel in some ways like we've covered so much ground, and yet there's so much more uh, to discuss and to learn. And I'm excited for some of the guests that we have uh, coming up soon. And uh, we'll let you guys know that information as soon. One last question. One yeah. last question. If you could disciple anyone anywhere, where would it be? Where do you think is the most comfortable place to sit down and have like a discipleship gathering? Are you asking about the anyone or the anywhere? Anywhere. The anywhere. Okay. If I could choose the setting of discipleship. That's a great question. It's not a hard one, man. What would your answer be? Dude, where else? The cigar shop. I like a cigar lounge somewhere. Um, but I know that that's a, I'm not doing that with the kids that just graduated high school. That's for sure. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'll do that with the with the uh, adults that are around my uh, around my age. Um, I think. If I just had my druthers, probably a chess club. But then I don't know if there would be much discipleship going on. So probably probably the better answer, honestly, honestly, would be um, uh, the top of Mount High Brighton. It's the, it's the mountain in our town. And it's maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half to climb. And, uh, and, and you know, the, the non-existent world where I just always get my way all of my discipleship sessions would consist of climbing that mountain, uh, uh, breaking bread and, and uh, studying the word and singing praise together and then uh, going back down. And on the way up, we would sing the Psalms of Ascent. Cool, man. 
By the way, whoever said reading books outside the Bible for discipleship is anti-intelligence. I've known guys that will sit down and they will actually read with guys um, sermons from like Jonathan Edwards or Charles Spurgeon, which mm-hmm. I think can be incredibly impactful because those guys, those guys, the word bleeds out of them. You can't read mm-hmm. without getting the word in you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I think the 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 extra biblical books that are worth studying, they are so. Uh, like rich with scripture that um, it, I agree with you. I agree with you. When, when you're writing, when you, when you, your life, your mind and heart are saturated with scripture. I actually said this about your book and I meant it. It just oh, sort of bleeds. It just sort of bleeds out onto the page. Um, I will stand by, however, that while those things can be valuable and worth studying, um, you, you can never do better than the original source. You can benefit from those other resources but there'll always be a cut below. I agree. I, I think of it this way, Luke. If I sit down and I'm reading scripture with someone, right? Or if I'm sitting down and I'm reading someone who is explaining scripture. Right. To me, it's the same thing. It's I either agree. me explaining scripture or we are reading how Spurgeon or... Uh, to me, Spurgeon's really accessible. Spurgeon's a lot more accessible than Jonathan Edwards. Mm-hmm. Sometimes Jonathan Edwards, Edwards can write something in, in a paragraph. I have to read it 10 times. Mm-hmm. And that, just might be because I'm not valedictorian in my high school class, so I'm not that smart. But like Spurgeon, I don't have to do that so much. So I'm um, reading some of that. It, to me, I just look at it as um, now you're getting Spurgeon instead of me, and like his explaining the text. And listen, Spurgeon's far better than I am. So um, yeah. Yeah. My my mom's saying I should go ahead and start a chess club at the school she works at. Ma, as soon as this COVID craziness is over, I'm in. That's a great outreach opportunity, man. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sure. I mean, look, I'm I'm dying to have one in town because there's not one. I just don't know how you do it in the COVID era. You know, Tom Tom Rayner talks about how pastors should prioritize five and have the church endorse this five hours a week on outreach. And wow. like, I look at my hockey time and I go, you know, I spend. I spend at least five hours a week playing hockey. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, I have so many great opportunities to share the gospel um, and, and just minister to folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd probably find the same thing if you started a uh, chess club. That's true. I would also get to play chess a lot. So yeah, win-win. All right. I do have to go. Got to go walk to our carriage. Hold on. We're Hold on. on a horse-drawn carriage. Hold on. You don't have to go. You get to go. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. I'm just, I was just making. I was just helping you out there, Eric. We're, we're going. We're going on a horse-drawn carriage tour. Very cool. All right, y'all. Bible banter. We will be back next week on Tuesday, and hopefully, we will have uh, Eric back at my side because uh, <laughs> the show's just better when he's here. Aw, that's very sweet of you, Lukey. <sighs> that. Why are you going to say it that way, man? Okay, All right, okay. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That's really sweet of you, Duke Luke. <laughs> Goodness. All right. <laughs> All Bye, right. everybody. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Take care. Love you.